Welcome to the Octave Sweat Equity Podcast, a show designed exclusively for gym owners and fitness enthusiasts like you. I'm your host, Mark Fawzi. Chris Lewis is the owner of Pack Life Gym, with two CrossFit gyms in Johannesburg. Pack Life is at an exciting stage, and 2024 promises to be a massive year of growth for them. In this episode, we will discuss growth, how to prepare for it, embrace it, and how to benefit from it. This is our first virtual recording. We called Chris in his gym, so you may hear the sound of some weight in the background, but let's dive straight in. Thank you so much for for making the time today. I've been really excited to have this chat with you. We don't see each other as often as I would like. Um, so going forward, I, I would like to make more of an effort to, to get together. Um, but let's dive into your story and how did, how did Pack Life come about? Um, obviously, there's been a lot to lead up to this point. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We, um, you know, I've actually, surprisingly enough, uh, I've been in the fitness industry a long time. Um, it's been about 20 years now. Um, I studied uh, marketing at, at UJ um, and Rao. It was Rao when I first got there and UJ when I finished. Um, and from there, um, I actually moved straight into a, an in-home personal training business. A, a friend of ours, um, his sister had a small business um, where we used to go to people's houses and just literally train them in their houses. Um, and we did that for about two years, this, this friend and myself. Um, and then from there, we moved... Um, we decided we could do it better ourselves, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and so we left that company and um, we started our own company called FitTrax. Um, just the two of us essentially training people in their houses. And it, it, we just happened to have a, a very wealthy client base. Um, and through a few referrals, we ended up um, actually like sort of training a, a lot of the captains of industry, you know, lots of billionaires and extremely wealthy people. Um, and the business grew relatively organically from there. We, um, because they were wealthy, they wanted their own home gyms. Um, so we, we put in techno gym, home gyms, you know, the fanciest of the fancy stuff. Um, and they referred us to their friends. Um, so we, we struck up a good partnership with techno gym, who we worked with for a while. Um, and then we started managing and running other gyms. So we had corporate wellness programs as well as we ran gyms for Liberty Life and ABSA and, and, um, and that was sort of, it was something that I enjoyed. Um, but I think that the, the corporate world wasn't really for me. Um, if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, so I, uh, I do. Yeah. So, so, so we sold, we sold that, but well, I sold the business to him. Um, and then shortly after that got involved in CrossFit. Um, but I suppose there was a, I'm missing out a, a relatively important part of the story. And that was that towards the end of that period, um, in that business, we, we were doing sort of whatever fitness, uh, certifications we could do. So we did, uh, you know, uh, kettlebell certifications, we did personal training, uh, certificates of all different natures. We did everything we could. And one of the ones that just came onto the radar was CrossFit. And to be honest with you, I actually knew nothing about it. I had no idea what it was about, but we said, we're going to go and do it anyway. And um, as they do on a level one, um, they sort of got us to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, but, <laughs> but my partner, and we actually had some of the guys who are still around today on that level one. Um, but uh, my partner and I had 
interestingly enough, very mixed uh, responses to the to the course. Um, for me, it was it was all about the Kool Aid, and I was a hundred percent in. I couldn't believe I hadn't been doing this for all these years. Um, and for him, it was completely the opposite. Uh, he decided he wanted to go back to his bodybuilding uh, at the Globo Gyms and do his thing there. Um, and yeah, I, I shortly joined a CrossFit gym after that. Um, I was there for about six months and then opened my own one um, with the intention of you know, helping people to realize this, this new way of training that I've just, just, just been a, a part of. And, and it, was, it was really cool, I must admit. Um, and that mm. was where the, that's where the journey started. That was back in awesome. 2013. So, and that was CrossFit Wanderers. That was CrossFit Wanderers. So we've literally just had our uh, big bash this last Saturday for our tenth, our tenth anniversary. Yeah, but that was that was relatively awesome. uh, close to the beginning of CrossFit in South Africa. So I think that probably started in about 2011. Yeah. Shortly after that. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember it, and obviously now you've also got CrossFit Santon, and you've kind of got the the overarching brand, which is, which is pack life. So lots, a lot's happened since then. I want to, I want to just backtrack like a couple steps from, from training high net worth individuals to starting a CrossFit gym. Um, my feeling is that you'd probably be able to make more money training high net worth individuals at the beginning, at least. I think you guys have done very well and, 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 it's a success story. Um, but can we talk about that briefly, you know, because obviously that's something that does go into a decision when, when it comes to moving direction. Yeah, of course. So, so, so what I did was I actually, I tried to mitigate, um, you know, that as much as I could in terms of, you know, going from, from having a pretty stable sort of job to starting from scratch. Um, so what I did was I had a business partner um, at, at CrossFit Wanderers there were two of us who started the gym together um, and we actually set our days up so that he would be there every Monday, sort of Wednesday, Friday, and I'd be there every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, oh, perfect. or whatever it was at the time. And then I used to keep my other personal training clients on the other days. And we did that for a little while up front just to make sure that I could sort of earn um, um, enough, to, enough to get by at the same time while we were starting a brand new business. Um, but, yeah. you know, when I, when I look back on it, you know, what we started CrossFit Runners with the amount of money that it took to get it up and running, it was like a little hundred square meter facility. You know, we had like two, two or three rowers, a couple of barbells, um, some kettlebells and, and, and a couple of dumbbells, you know. And, and so it wasn't like a massive capital outlay to get it up and running. And we kind yeah. of grew with it as we, uh, as we gained clients, whether um, we, you know, made enough money to make another row because we had extra members and it was a very... It was a very sort of organic process, which was cool and, and, and completely different um, scenario to what we find ourselves in today. And I think any of the guys opening up any boutique studios, but, um, but, but especially CrossFit ones where, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a completely different animal. hundred percent. I mean, when you started, it was CrossFit's early adopters, right? So it was yeah, like CrossFit was still fairly small globally. I, I suppose relatively it's still is from on a on a global scale but at the time it was really early adopters and only people who have drunk the kool-aid that were doing crossfit and now it's much more widespread and like like 
when you go to dinner with a group of people, now there's there's a big chance that a few a few people at the table will, you know, will be doing CrossFit as opposed to only you and like trying to spread the word, you know. So it's it's, it's grown a lot, um, and and yeah, I think absolutely. you can see it in the quality of like of facilities that are around and and how competitive it's becoming. Um, what were some of your like standout big learnings uh, along the way? Sure. Um, there's been a lot. There's been a lot. Um, if I if I sort of fast forward a little bit um, to COVID, um, I think one of the big things was was during that period, we were actually due to open our, our second location, which it's interesting that you asked um, about the, uh, the way we started off at Wanderers in terms of those days that we actually split things up. So we'd spend a whole day there and then the whole day, uh, my partner would do another job and I would do another job. And that was actually what was the initial thinking in terms of opening a second gym because mm-hmm. we were like, well, if we just did this full time, we could have another gym and we would just swap the other days in, um, if you know what I mean. So we could get rid of yeah. all the old work and, and then just do this full time. We had enough to do it because there were two of us. And that gym was, that was CrossFit Sanson. Um, and that was due to open in, um, in 2020, uh, literally two, a week after lockdown. So um, we had yeah. done all the marketing, the advertising, everything that was going to go into it. And then we were, we were shut down just before that. We had amazing landlords who, um, who got us all the way through. They didn't uh, charge us any rent during that period. Which wow, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they, they really were. They were, really were brilliant. Um, and then actually opened the gym. But, but during that time, in fact, about six months into lockdown, I actually bought the business from my partner. Um, and I think that was actually one of the biggest, the biggest learning experiences. Um, it was a couple of probably like three or four months of, of relatively intense negotiating, um, you know, to try and, to try and make sure that, that everyone was happy and and managed to get the result that they wanted out of it. Um, and, 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 you know, then being able to own the business, uh, myself completely, I was able to move, move forward and, and, uh, and go from there. But I mean, in terms of general learnings, I mean, we can, I think we'd have to start getting into some specific topics. Um, but there's, there's, there's obviously many, many, many lessons along the way. We've, we've mostly learned them uh, through the mistakes we've made, I must admit. Um, yeah. And we're hoping to, we're making less and less mistakes, I think, at this stage. Um, but we're still certainly still making them. Um, in terms of buying the business from your partner, I, I, if you are able to share a little bit about that, I'm very interested. Like what led to it? Um, what led to was it? Yeah, what led to it, and how did that process pan out? Um, yeah, so so look, I think to be honest with you, we were we had sort of drifted apart in terms of our interests. Um, you know, I was still very very bought into the the gym itself, um, and and he had another job that he was doing at the same time, um, and wasn't as enthusiastic anymore. Perhaps maybe not as quite as passionate as I still was. Um, and I felt that it, although it was a very strange time to buy the business because of the pressure that we had from COVID, we actually didn't even know at that stage if we were going to open the business again. Um, so I was almost buying something that wasn't necessarily um, worth what it was. Like a risk. It, the risk was very high at that time because, it, you know, you look back at it now and it seems like a relatively easy decision to have made. Um, but I think at the time it was, it was something that really stressed me out. So I was extremely worried about it. Um, of course. And so I think, I think it was mostly just a, a, a divergence in terms of, 
how much uh, we loved what we were doing. Um, and I really did want to continue to grow the brand, um, continue to grow the gyms, and, and, and so was prepared to make him an offer um, for his half of the business. And, um, you know, like COVID, if you aren't very passionate or enthusiastic or if you feel a bit burned out or whatever, all you need is something like COVID to, to, to make you throw the towel in, you know. Um, so that would make sense that, that that timing was probably right for potentially for him to have exited the business. Um, yeah, and are you happy with your decision that, that you know, that, that you did that since then? Because the reason I ask is because I'm a solo founder and I've always wished that I had a co-founder um, and you, you've gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th I, look, I think there's, there's lots of different ways that you can, you know, when I first opened Wanderers, I was very happy to have a partner. Um, I think it takes the pressure off you a little bit. Um, like I said, financially, it wasn't a, a huge um, outlay, but if you were going to open a gym now by yourself, um, then it is, it is expensive. And obviously from a, a CapEx point of view, it's nice to have some support. Um, but also, um, and, and just general like moral support and being able to split the workload between two people is pretty cool. Um, but at the same time, it obviously has its drawbacks, you know, having to constantly consult someone about what you're doing um, yeah. to make sure that you guys agree on the, on the way um, the business goes. And it's kind of like, you know, these things, they're, they're awesome until they're not. Um, mm. And I think that a lot of business owners, if they, if they get through their careers without having to, to part ways with a few partners along the way, they've done amazingly. Um, of course. But, but I think, yeah, like it, that, and that's obviously best case scenario. Um, but, but sometimes I think having partners can sort of hamstring you um, to what you're doing. But I do think that if you don't have a partner, it's probably really important to have a, to have a mentor or at least someone that you can, you know, a sounding board, someone that you can bounce ideas off. Um, because if you don't have that, you can, you know, you, you get caught in these echo chambers where, you know, you, you're just doing what you think you should be doing. Um, and I think I that's, completely agree. I've, been I've been extremely lucky to be, um, surrounded by, we have an amazing coaching staff. Um, we have five full-time coaches and then we have, um, almost 10, probably nine or 10 part-time coaches. Um, and the part-time yeah. coaches are all working professionals. They're lawyers, mm -hmm. like fancy lawyers, and they're directors of companies, and they're super corporate. Um, and over the years, all of the decisions that we've made going, you know, we, we run them by them. And I use mm -hmm. them um, to bounce ideas off, and they give me the most amazing feedback. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that if, if I didn't have a partner, I think, well, the fact that I don't have a partner makes those people so much more important to me. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, I completely agree because I've got a couple people in my life that I see as mentors and sounding boards. Um, and I, 100%, we wouldn't be where we, are, where we are today without those people and their guidance. Um, and sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes it's, I agree, it, it can be probably more, more valuable than, than somebody who's like in the trenches, like who's also, you know, clouded decision making. And so on. Now I see that. Yeah, I actually, you know, talking about COVID, it's always you. You are one of the people that I think about when I think about that time, um, because it was as as difficult a time that it as it was. Excuse my English. <laughs> I'm losing my English, but as hard a time as it was, 
it was also a very inspiring time for me personally because I saw I'm I'm quite a like I'm on the outside, I'm not a gym owner, but I'm in the industry with you guys and and I saw like how people came together and I, I remember it was yourself, myself, uh Estian, the owner of Willow Way, also you know, awesomely successful operation. Um Cam Mitchell and Ty from, from Monty Crew. And I remember we came together and we had these Zoom calls of like, how do we get through this together? And yeah. honestly, it's as, as hard as it was, this was a very fun time for me. Because um, obviously it was very stressful, but like that aspect of it was super special. And you could see like that the passion that the passion that you guys have for what you do goes beyond like the short term, uh, et, et cetera. Um, and if I look at this now, you know, that was a very dark time. And now your business is the strongest as, from what I can see. It's the strongest that it's ever been, um, which is really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you in terms of growth, um, the kind of overarching theme for me today is growth. Um, what are your plans going forward? Uh, do you have anything big in the pipeline? Um, I, I feel like every time I chat to you, there, there is something that is actually happening. Yeah, so so um, we do have something. Uh, we're, we're opening a, a third location, which is really exciting for us uh, in Stain City. Um, I know you're from Cape Town, so I know not, awesome. maybe not that familiar with, with Stain City, um, but it is, a, I was explaining it to someone the other day, is like the, the Dubai of South Africa. Um, it's, it's basically this like self-contained city um, and everything is just complete opulence. You know, they have a, their pool is a, a 300 meter, uh, they call it the lagoon, but it's, it's a, it looks like Sun City, you know, it's got that sort of sand on the outside and there's just every single car you see is a Bentley or a Lamborghini and the, the place is just wild. It's got skate awesome. parks designed by, by Tony Hawk and you know, all these crazy sort of things. Anyway, so we, it's, it's a place that we, you know, when, when we, when we were looking at locations and as soon as we opened Santon, strangely enough, before we even really got, got to a point where we were comfortable there, um, we were already thinking about, or at this stage, yeah, we were already thinking about what was next. Um, and we had earmarked Stain City um, for, for growth. We thought that this was a place that, that we definitely wanted to be. Um, and I've actually been in negotiations with negotiations slash, uh, you know, trying to, um, sell the concept and the idea to them probably for the last 18 months. So it's been an extremely long process, um, loads and loads of uh, red tape. And you talk about learning experiences. This has certainly been um, one of those. Um, but yeah, from a, from, a, from a growth point of view, I think, we're, I think I'm very sort of risk adverse. Um, we've seen during that time, it's not like we were th weren't thinking about other places. Um, I've probably been to see 50 other locations. Um, in fact, one of the locations that I went to see another gym opened after we said no, another gym opened there like two weeks later. Um, and, and I think Stain City is, is hundred percent the right fit for us. Um, it fits our, um, you know, our, uh, our culture. Um, it fits our, um, it's just, it's just, it's a place where we've, we've, we've seen an opportunity that we think will be sustainable for a long period of time. 
Um, it's a relatively, it's a high net worth individual, obviously, that we, we always sort of look for in, in, in other locations or in very, very premium locations. Um, and so from that point of view, it, it does it does fit and we're, we're very excited about it, I must admit. It's going to be cool. I mean, how? But it is. Sorry, Karen. No, sorry. Continue. I'll, I'll ask you when you're done. I was just going to say it, it, it isn't going to be the difference is that it's not going to be a CrossFit gym. So uh, we have a different, um, a different model that, we, that we're running there, obviously because it's inside a, um, a sort of a, a gated community. Um, it's not, CrossFit isn't necessarily going to be for everyone. So we need to have a more diverse offering that we have there. We have a multidisciplinary studio that we're going to be opening there. Um, and it will have CrossFit as one of its components, but that won't be the, um, awesome. the, the, the only thing that we're doing. So again, uh, lots of learning for us. Um, although I, I did it again a long time ago, I haven't done it for, for a while. That's awesome. I, I've got a few questions here. And one of them is, you know, how, how did the opportunity come about? Because many people have like the idea or, you know, I want to open a gym and stay in city, but how did the actual opportunity come about and, and how, like what happened to actually progress to, to sign and seal and, and actually move forward with it? Yeah. So, and, and I think this was, this was actually the same as, um, as our Santon gym. Um, we sort of earmark locations that we'd like to be open in or, or very specific areas where we think, um, that we can build a really strong community um, and also a sustainable community. I think that's really, really important for us. Um, and the Santon Gym, I emailed the owner of that location or that building um, every quarter for four years before he eventually got back to me. Um, wow, okay. See, and, that's... And, and it lit it was literally just the timing of it. So for four years, he wouldn't even answer my mails. Um, and I just kept bashing, bashing, bashing. And eventually the timing of it was perfect. He said he, he, the whole time he was actually trying to get commercial rights on the place that he didn't receive. And eventually he decided enough's enough. He's going to turn this into something else. Um, so that was perfect timing. But if I hadn't been very persistent in that regard, yeah. um, we would never have got there. And the same, it was exactly the same situation with, um, with Stain City. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have an in, um, but I managed to find out who the right person was. Uh, I didn't have my emails again answered for probably three or four months. Um, eventually managed to find out um, her contact details. I'd send her WhatsApps, wouldn't reply to those. And then at some point after about six months of no replies, um, eventually I got a message saying, hey, do you want to come in for a meeting? Um, and, and that was, that was how that came about. So I think, I think persistence was probably the key once we'd established the, the locations and, and then the timing of it, um, was, was fortuitous. Awesome. And so, I mean, the story of persistence is, is so awesome to hear because most people would have given up after the first few emails and they would have said like, okay, well, this person's not going to get back to me. Let me move on. So that's really cool. Um, the, the, the facility that you're setting up, the new facility, it sounds like it'll be quite a big, like a capital kind of expenditure. Um, are you having to raise money to, to make that happen? Or is it being funded by kind of your other facilities and so on? If you don't mind sharing, because um, no, obviously sure. this is something that I think we don't talk about enough. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think, and, and like when we discussed initially, you know, when we set up Wanderers, um, this was a very small little capital outlay. It really was, and we just built it as we as we went along. But that you can't do that anymore. Um, there's so many competing yeah. facilities um, that whether you're opening a gym down the road or in a in a very uh, fancy place like Stain City, um, you know the what it needs to look like as you start is completely different. So I think a lot of a lot of a lot of people do have to have to understand what it's like to either raise the capital um, and what implication that has from an interest point of view and repayment schedules. Um, when you're going to get to your break-even point, um, it's obviously going to push that number out um, uh, quite drastically. Um, and we, we in this case, we um, we are going to actually be self-funding this. So um, we are using um, capex from the other two facilities. Um, so we haven't had to go down that road for this facility, but we have done the exercise um, to see that if we wanted to do it, um, what it would look like potentially for us. Um, it is nice to be able to fund this yourself, um, but sometimes it yeah. does leave the coffers a little bit, um, for obviously from an, from an interest point of view, but it may leave the coffers a little drier than you might like them um, to be as a safety net on the, on the other side. But I think... And, you know, obviously, as we're talking about growth, I think it's important um, that, you know, you have to be in a position um, where you know you're comfortable and ready to be able to to open the next facility if that's what you want to do. Um, you yeah. know, we, we made sure that we were very we were very comfortable to be able to put up the CapEx to be able to do the Santa facility, um, as well as also have working capital in the business. Um, to be able to 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 ride out to get to that break even point, um, yeah. which which can potentially be anything from six months to two years, um, yeah. you know, depending on depending on what the model looks like. So um, you know, we, we've also we haven't expanded too quickly. Um, we've made sure that we're able to do things the way that we like to do them. It's not necessarily the right way to do it, um, but it's kind of on our terms. Um, and and that's worked well for us. So we are in a position now where we can we can do the right or follow follow our, our current model at Stain City, which is which is quite cool for us, which we're very excited about. It's awesome. Congratulations. That's really really cool. And the fact that you can self self fund it in itself says a lot. Um, even though, like you know, using other people's money is always it's it's hard in one way, but it's also it's also quite less risky because now you're using your own capital and if it doesn't go well, that's your money that you've, that you've put on the line, you know, even though you're not accountable to anyone else. Um, but that's, Absolutely. that's really cool. Um, so, so just speaking of that risk that you take, because it all sounds awesome to open a new facility, right? Um, obviously you've done it. So you know what it entails. Um, but if you're not ready for that, then it, it can be more problematic. So we, we've seen many, many gyms open a second or a third location and then like scale back down to what they were before because they've realized that there's certain foundations that they haven't got right. Um, what in your mind would be the main foundational aspects of your, of your core or initial business that you need to get right before you expand into another location? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I think growth has a couple of different facets to it in our industry and, and, owning, and owning gyms. I think that the first is people neglect the growth within the current business that is potentially there. 
So I think, um, you know, the idea of thickening your revenue stream within your business um, is something that is, I think, people pass over or potentially don't give enough time to. And it's something that, especially in the last two years, we've spent maybe the last, yeah, just since COVID, I suppose, we've spent an enormous amount of time on, on working on growth within the business. Um, you know, merchandise, personal training businesses, kids programs, corporate programs, um, the list goes on. You know, a lot of people look at these things and they typically think of, of sales and retention. Um, so memberships being the main drivers of revenue, where I think that, you know, if you really look at it, uh, you know, for example, a CrossFit gym, I mean, this is probably relatively similar across the boutique uh, gym industry, but a CrossFit gym, for example, is used between five in the morning and then nine o'clock in the morning and then in the afternoon from four until eight again. And it sits dormant for the rest of the time. Um, so those were our, look, areas that we looked at very carefully and we, we have a dedicated um, person who looks after the personal training business, um, you know, and, and we've done the merchandise. We have a, a great relationship with Puma, um, who we were lucky enough to partner up with, but, but the actual merchandise has become a big part of our business now. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways that people can grow uh, their revenue streams within before you even start to look at a second location. Hundred um, percent. But I, I yeah. think, I think when you, if you are, if because it doesn't necessarily have to be what you want. I mean, I went back and forwards. Uh, it wasn't just like an easy decision. Okay, we've got to open another one, and we've got to open another one, and I want to have fifteen or twenty. You know, we don't wouldn't really have that mindset. But, but I think that when opportunities present themselves, or, or um, you know, for example, the location presented itself where we thought, sure, but you know, I think we could do really well here. Um, we, we wanted to chase down those opportunities and make sure that we put ourselves in a position that we we're able to service those clients really, really well. Um, and I think that, I suppose, in short, to answer your question, um, I think that culture is obviously incredibly important, and a lot of people talk about this, um, but the culture is at the core of our business, um, and we know exactly what that looks like. We have it very, very, very clearly defined. Um, I think that your staff is incredibly important. Um, because as you scale from one to two to three to it doesn't really matter how many gyms you have, but you as the as the as the founder um, and potentially the head coach or whatever it was, uh, you get to see those people less and less and less, and so it yeah. needs to become less and less about you um, and more and more about the actual the rest of the coaches and the rest of the staff who are actually the client facing um, uh, areas of your business, you know, um, and so if you don't have really, really skilled, high quality, um, nice um, people um, who genuinely care about the members as much uh, as you do, or at least as close to that as, as they can possibly be. Um, I think you're going to, I think you'll, I think you're wasting time. Um, yeah. You need to have the staff, you need to have the culture. And then I think something that we've learned, and you talk about learning lessons, um, uh, lease agreements. I think I think lease agreements are a massive, massive, massive part of why businesses fail as a whole, um, and it's no different in the in the micro gym um, industry. Um, I think that uh, the more help you can get in, in setting up lease agreements and, and not just settling for whatever, you know, we've actually walked away from other locations that we thought were pretty good. We've walked away from probably three or four of them recently um, where we just couldn't get the negotiations right, and and having that. I think having that mindset where knowing how important this is, um, if it's not right, being able to walk away. And so we're not going to do this at any cost. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's very tempting. 
it's very tempting to just agree to a space that you love, but it's actually the biggest line item on your like fixed costs space. So it's like, you can't, yeah, you can't just accept um, anything. It's funny, like you, you're the second person who said this um, on our podcast, uh, Stevie from, from Monte Crew, when it comes to the biggest learnings, it also mentioned lease agreements. Um, and, and every successful gym owner I've spoken to has spoken about culture and team. Um, and notice how nobody's spoke, spoken about like top of the range equipment or whatever, you know, it's, it's actually the people, the people aspect that, that matters the most. Hey? Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we're in, right? We're in the business of relationships at the end of the day. And I think that, and, and, and like, we're hopefully going to be able to prove at Stain City, you know, that it, the, the methodology of training for us is not necessarily what determines our success or our failure. I think that if we stick to um, the other business tenants that we've been able to develop over the last 10 years, I think we'd be able to open any kind of studio um, and, have, yeah. and have some real success at it. Um, so yeah. whether we're doing CrossFit, um, like you say, with the fanciest equipment, or whether we're opening a, a yoga studio, which has extremely little equipment, um, I think exactly. we, you know, we've learned enough over the years to be able to run these studios relatively well. And, and, um, mm. and, and, and I suppose the other thing to, to add those other three is location. I think that the location that you, you look at in terms of where you're opening is obviously, is obviously critical as well. Yeah. You know, I think it's also... Sorry, I think it's very clever in terms of your brand and actually, look, the strategy that's, that's speaking to your culture as well. It's like choosing a very high-end, very well-known um, location and investing in that is probably going to add to your other locations as well. And if you want to open a fourth or a fifth location in future, you'll have the reputation as as you know, the gym from this area or that area that's kind of well known. So I think, I think it's very, very smart. Um, I wanted to ask you, Chris, in terms of, I really liked what you said about like making sure that you're maximizing on the growth of your core facility before you add, um, add other locations and so on. Um, do you have any, any specific advice that, that you would give to other gym owners in, in how to, how to view that and, you know, things that you've kind of experienced yeah so i think look and this obviously depends on the scale of your business um i think that if you're sort of you have one gym um that's your full-time job and you and you work really hard at that i think you could probably do a fair amount of this yourself um and obviously you you have less expenses in terms of salaries that way um but what i have found as we've scaled the business up um is number one is that there's some things I'm just not good at, um, you know, and that's, that's, it's actually been, uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it's, it's extremely like refreshing and relieving to, to pass some of these jobs onto people who are just so much better at them than you are. Um, and I know this sounds like a strange one, but I'll give you an example. I, um, I used to, I, I never used to enjoy um, doing the sort of, the, the, the sales part of it. So someone would phone me on the phone and I'd, I'd, I'd sell the gym to them and get them to come in for a trial and then, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's crazy yeah. because that's, that was how we would make money, but I didn't enjoy yeah. that. Um, and I like talking to people. I'm a very, like, a, I think I'm relatively friendly and, you know, but yeah. that process I didn't enjoy. And when I passed that over to a sales manager who we hired maybe like four or five years ago, that was one of the best um, moves I could ever make because 
she is so much better at it than I am just because she enjoys it. Um, and, mm. and, you know, what I found is that, that that's the one thing is, is, is getting more skilled people to do the stuff you're not good at. And then the second is, is that there's just not enough time to do it all yourself. So what you end up doing is you end up doing, you know, 10 things half-heartedly rather than three things really well. Um, and yes, that does require um, paying salaries and, and investing in, in your staff. But I think if they're, if they're good at what they do and you invest in them correctly and you make sure that you mentor them along the way, um, I think that you can, I think you can reap the, the rewards of those investments. Um, and so, yeah. you know, we, we, we do, I do, I do rely on my team a lot. I, I give them a lot of stuff to do um, and we reward them. Um, we provide incentives for them um, to be able to be successful through those tasks. So it also, and I think something that, that I've, I've been very passionate about over the years, and we're, we're obviously, it's, we're always working at this, but is but is trying to provide like really sustainable jobs um, in this industry for people, you know, um, as a pure yeah. CrossFit coach or as a coach in a micro, micro gym, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to make a, a really decent salary. Um, and so, so that's something that we, we work really hard on. We're constantly trying to provide our staff yeah. with opportunities to make more money um, and to become like serious professionals in our industry. So um, I think those two things go nicely hand in hand. Um, they work well in the business. Um, people, you've got the right people doing the right jobs um, and you're doing them with the right intensity um, and the right passion that yeah. they need to. And then it, it gives me the freedom to be able to look after the, the bigger picture. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, usually if just going back slightly, the things that you don't enjoy doing that you have to do, you'll usually like procrastinate and not like, like leave them to the last minute and they'll, you'll never do them to the full potential of how they could be done. So that's the first thing. So as soon as you invest in hiring somebody, it might feel a bit daunting to pay that salary at, at first, but having somebody doing that thing full time usually pays itself off quite quickly. Um, yeah. And, and um, you can, I mean, like, you know, for those, those guys out there who, who can't necessarily afford to pay these salaries straight away, um, you can also incentivize them with a percentage of the profits from the things that they do. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, so you yeah. know, on the sales side, that's what we do. We give the sales manager a percentage of the signups. You know, if you want any, any of the, of the jobs that you need to get done in the gym, as long as they're relatively uh, quantifiable in terms of, um, you know, the profit that can be made from them, then you can incentivize them with percentages, which works really well. Um, if it's a win-win. The they'll earn more. It's a win-win for everyone. Exactly. hundred mm. percent. Um, I really like what you said about getting coaches and, and making sure to build them up and pay them enough for it to become a sustainable career for them. Um, what I really like about that is that when you do that, you actually make them better at what they do because they don't have to side hustle to make ends meet. They can just focus on becoming the best possible version of the coach that they are. And that in itself will probably pay itself off because your members will feel that. And you'd probably be able to charge more for, for memberships because the coaches are more professional. They, they're more focused they're, So it actually all feeds into each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it really does. Um, and, you know, I think we, we also have the opinion where, you know, sometimes I think people are a little bit reserved in terms of how much responsibility that they and information that they give to the, the staff in the gym. 
Um, and whether it's right or not, I'm not sure. It's just kind of the way that we've done it. But like I said before, we include, you know, all of the decision-making, all of the thinking with all of the staff. Um, and I feel like that for us is just the way to get the, the most amount of feedback um, in, yeah. terms of, um, in terms of decision-making. Um, and, and having those guys involved in the business gets them more bought in. Um, yeah. They believe they're part of that process because they are. Um, and so yeah. the direction the gym takes, they are constantly influencing. Um, and, and, and I think that's really cool for them. Awesome. Um, it all speaks to, to your culture. I, I really do feel like we've got a few things in common, which is really cool. I also, I believe in transparency and like making sure people are involved in the decision-making so that it's not some decision that has filtered down from the top. Like they feel like they were part of the decision and everyone just is more committed um, because of that. Um, a lot of this stuff, Chris, takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of guts to do. Like, you know, your big venture next year, your new location, um, it takes a lot of guts. And how do you how do you kind of think about that? And how do you view the bravery that it takes? Like even hiring somebody when <laughs> when you semi can't can't afford to do it just yet, right? I've been there where you're like, okay, I'm going to hire this person, but I really hope it works out because uh, it's a stretch. How do you how do you view it? And are there any kind of fundamentals that you look at um, before taking on a decision that actually requires a bit of bravery? Yeah, look. To be honest with you, it's scary as hell. <laughs> you know, every every time every time we do this, uh, yeah, I think to myself, oh my goodness, why am I doing this again? You know, and we 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 have other little business ventures as well that we've gone along the way in different spheres, and um, yeah, it is scary. Um, there's no doubt. But I think that I think that once we sort of we've gone down that that list of of, of boxes to be ticked in terms of what we're looking for, like, like, do we have the right staff for this place? Is this the right location? Have we managed to negotiate the correct lease agreement with it? Do we believe there's longevity um, in, the, in the community that we can create there? Um, do we believe that the, um, the, the members will have um, the buying power um, to be able to, to stay there um, for a long time? Um, once we've got all of those things ticked and we've got the, the actual model of the of the gym, what we want it to offer, what it's going to look like, um, where we're going to be able to generate the right uh, revenue. Um, I think once you've, it's kind of like, um, oh man, I can't think of the, but but once we've got all of those things ticked, uh, then I start to feel much more comfortable. Um, then, yeah. then the bravery sort of, it takes a back seat um, and because it, it becomes a much more educated decision. Um, mm. And I think that that's as, as, as much information and as many of those boxes as we can tick before we actually jump into it, the more comfortable with our, our feel. And it's kind of like by going through that process, um, you understand. And like I said, we've walked away from, from a few other locations where we, we got halfway down those little boxes and we were like, Ooh, can't take this one for whatever reason it was. And then all of a sudden that's when the doubt starts to creep in and you go, hang on, actually, maybe this is not necessarily the right thing for us to do. Um, and then, like I said before, it's that it's that walking away rather than just pushing pushing through. And I, I think the hard thing is for is for people who are starting out for the their, in their very first location. I think that I think that that's a place where you might be tempted into just signing a lease, for example, or 
going to a location where you might not be that keen, um, but but it's the only one that's on offer right now when you want to get started. And I think that that's, that's something that I think could really needs to be like avoided or, or, or as much as is possible. Um, it's easy to say once you have one location and you, you have a, a business that's running and, and you know, and, and making some money and, um, and, and you feel relatively comfortable to walk away from uh, what looks like a relatively good idea, but has one or two of those, those boxes mm-hmm. not ticked. But if it's your very first one, you know, you, you want to get started and you're eager and you're ambitious, you want to get going. And it's not to say that it won't work. Um, but I think that, I think that as much information as you can possibly find out about as many different places and, and um, that you possibly can will, will hopefully get you to one where you are able to tick all those boxes. Yeah, I suppose it comes down also to like, does this decision or does this place or, you know, does this opportunity add to our purpose and why are we doing this in the first place? Or has that shifted and changed to a place that we're not really sure? So being being calculated about it is one way of establishing like, cool, this is in line with our vision. And so it's worth, you know, going and following the motions and taking the risk. You probably find by the time, if you follow that kind of, that kind of progression, by the time you launch, you've de-risked it along the way um, to a point where you're fairly certain, you know, it would work as opposed to just blindly going and going up after something impulsively. Yeah, absolutely. And you never know how these things are going to go once you open, but, um, you know, you, you, you making a, as an educated as decision as you get. And, you know, we know from our side, like we're in this because we want to help people and, and we want to create these amazing communities, um, based off our culture. Um, we absolutely love what we do with Wanderers and Incense and, and, and we want to be able to do those or do the same that things that we've done there for the people that are involved in those gyms um, at as many other locations as we possibly can. But, you know, if there's a, there's a lot of risk in, in putting ourselves under too much pressure um, and, and we want to make sure that those, those places are, are the right places for us to be in order to be able to make them the most impact on the people that attend them. Um, and, yeah. you know, if we, if we make some bad decisions there, we won't be able to, to help those people as much as, as, as we would have been able yeah. to, if we, if we just, if we put a little bit more time and effort into making sure those decisions are right. hundred percent. Look, just to, to start wrapping up, I'm, I'm, I follow a few of your coaches, um, and, uh, on social media and like when they post something, you can see they're having, they're genuinely having fun. Um, and I think if you, if you continue with, with that kind of culture, you can't really go wrong because it is contagious. It's, it's, it's fun to watch even from the outside. Um, so really well done on everything up until this point. Congratulations. Um, and I look forward to chatting again, Chris. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed being here and, uh, hopefully someone will gain some kind of insights for, 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 for something along the way, but, um, it's been really cool. Thank you, buddy. hundred percent. 